Hey, everybody, this is Sarah, and I get to be one of the pastors over at Exchange Church, but I'm here at Madison Church um, talking to both of you and anybody else that's listening online. So, hey, guys, um, if you have a moment, take a time, take some time and um, sign into the chat because we want to be able to interact while we're doing this. Um, one more thing I have to just tell you, I have a confession to make. Um, I spend too much time on Snapchat because I love those filters, don't you? I'm not alone here, right? Um, tell me what your favorite filter is down in the, in the chat box right now because I need to know if I'm missing out on a really good one and I need to check it out. Um, some of them are super obnoxious, right? Like you can have like big horns sticking out of your head and gr grow great big beards. And I just can't help but take pictures of myself and send them to people. And pretty much everybody I know, I send them everywhere. But <laughs> others of them, they like smooth out my complexion, makes my hair nice, sometimes colorful. Um, some of them even have that like slimming effect on your face. I love that one. Makes me look younger, healthier. Um, and I prefer to send those cute selfies, right, over the pictures that, say, people take of me and post online. Um, the ones that people take where I, like, forget to stick my chin out all the way to, like, hide some of those extra chins I got going on, and my flyaway hair is sticking out, and, oh, wait, is that eyeliner smudged under my eye that my friend didn't bother to, like, blot off before we took the picture or, you know, touch up after? My friend's um, they rarely take the time to filter me and edit me before they post these pictures. And it's like they don't care that the world is going to see me like that, unfiltered. I mean, does this happen to you guys too? It's rude. We need to stop. <laughs> but resumes can be like this too, right? Because a resume is where we try to convince a stranger that doesn't know anything about us to take a chance on us at least for a minute, to read through that resume. It's only a page, right? And we tend to filter our resume. We might leave a job off that we didn't really like or doesn't fit our the rest of our profile. Um, maybe we got fired from a job, so we'll leave that one off. Who wants to brag about that? Um, we tend to add in all of our amazing qualities and virtues. Um, and sometimes we stretch the truth. We add skills that we don't yet have, but we're pretty sure that we can probably figure those out on the job. So we'll just put them in there. Hope nobody notices. We want our resume to be attractive, kind of like how I feel about the smoother, younger filters on Snapchat. Um, one of my first resume experiences that I ever had, um, I had listed bookkeeper as experience. I saw it as one of the job requirements and I was pretty sure that I could keep track of books on a shelf. So uh, I added it. I figured how hard can this even be? So I can't believe that the poor HR person that had to interview me um, kept a straight face when she asked me about the software that I was familiar with and I rambled on and on about um, keeping books organized by category. I obviously had no idea what I was actually talking about, but I tried. <laughs> um, obviously, this is a case of resume exaggeration, but what if you came across a resume that had these credentials on it, graduated from Harvard with an MBA, quickly climbed the ranks at McKinney Consulting, recruited by a major energy company, and became CEO within six years, transforming the energy company into the largest wholesaler of gas and electricity with $27 billion traded in a single quarter. That's impressive, right? 
and none of that is even exaggerated. All of it's true. Wouldn't you want to hire that person? But what if I told you that this was the resume of Jeff Skilling? He's the man that was responsible for the fraud that caused the company Enron to collapse in 2001. This scandal caused, cost uh, 20,000 people their jobs at Enron and then another 85,000 at their accounting firm. Doesn't that change the way you see his resume? I mean, it does, right? If we spend our lives focused on building those resume virtues, we're at risk of ignoring the more important virtues, the virtues that really matter. New York Times journalist David Brooks calls these eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the skills that you bring to the marketplace, where eulogy virtues are the ones talked about at your funeral. They're the things like, were you kind? Were you courageous? Were you honest? Were you faithful? Were you loving? Most of us have a sense that those eulogy virtues are the most important virtues. They're more important than resume virtues. Yet we often spend more time developing our skills and strategies for career success and not enough time focused on the qualities that build a meaningful life. And this is something that we're brought up with. I know I'm old, so it's really hard to believe, but it's true. I remember being in grade school and being told that our performance in grade school would really count when we got, our performance would really count when we got to high school. But the skills that we were learning at grade school would carry over to high school. And that's where it counts. And that's where our resume virtues would be judged by colleges. And if you didn't want to work at a fast food restaurant for the rest of your life, you had to go to college. This is just kind of what they told us. Colleges, we were told, would look at um, your grade performance, but they'd also look at extracurricular activities as well. Um, This showed teamwork and leadership ability if you were extra motivated. I'm not very athletic, so... I didn't really do sports, but I did have some natural leadership ability. So I ran for office in every single one of the clubs that I joined. (laughs) So I just wanted to put them on my resume. I wanted to put them on my future college applications. I mean, I loved my art class. So when I found out there was an art club, I went ahead and joined and ran for office. And um, we did zero things in art club zero. We met one time to elect officers, and then we didn't meet again until the next year to re-elect officers. And I just still put that, I was vice president of art club on all of my college applications. They did not have to know we didn't do anything. I was really busy building my resume virtues while I was trying to cover up the criminal record that I was also building. And that's kind of messed up, right? Because today, we're going to continue our series called That's Messed Up. And we're looking at the life of Joseph, whose story is found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it's easy to find if you're following along. And I hope you are. Joseph embodied an important eulogy virtue, and that virtue is integrity. Integrity is the virtue of being honest and having strong moral principles. Integrity is a state of being whole and undivided. Integrity is internal consistency, or otherwise it can be defined as a lack of corruption in electronic data. So I'm guessing Snapchat Snapchat filters are not included here. Integrity can keep us from drifting into dangerous territory. 
Integrity is a eulogy virtue. And Joseph lived with tremendous integrity, even under intense pressure to compromise. When Stephen started talking about this story last week, Joseph was just a teenager, right? He was um, the 11th of 12 sons, and he was the favorite son that his father Jacob had. Genesis 37.3 tells us that his father so preferred him above his other 11 brothers that he gave Joseph this really special colorful robe. And every time the brothers looked at Joseph, um, they were reminded that Jojo was the favorite. I feel like Jacob maybe could have used some parenting glasses or something. Anybody else think that? Um, The robe that he gave Joseph was bright, and it couldn't be missed or understood. It was a visual reminder of his favoritism. So Joseph's brothers just absolutely hated him. I mean, can you just imagine the amount of tension in this family? It didn't take long for the brothers to just be done with Joseph, just done. One day they were out working in the fields and tending their flocks, and they looked over and they saw Joseph hanging out in his colorful robe, and they just snapped right? Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's literally stripped of everything, thrown in a hole, and then eventually sold as a slave. So this is where we're picking up today. In Genesis chapter 39, the bottom has literally dropped out of Joseph's life. He has no position, no privilege, and no more fancy coat. Joseph ends up being sold to a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. And Potiphar was a wealthy and influential military leader in Egypt. And he was a really big deal. So I think it's probably safe to say that Joseph started out kind of like the least important person in Potiphar's house. But things changed pretty quickly for him. Check out verses two through five. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So Potiphar sees unusual blessings in everything that Joseph does. So he promotes him up the chain of command until Joseph is soon in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. So yeah, things are looking up for Joseph, right? So let's keep reading. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and Potiphar's wife began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So Joseph doesn't just say, hey, sorry, I'm seeing someone. Or I'm really focused on my career right now. I don't have time for a relationship. He just calls out the situation for what it is. It's a betrayal of her husband. And then he says that the main reason he won't sleep with her is because of his relationship with God. And this wasn't a one-time deal. Mrs. Potiphar kept hitting on Joseph, and Joseph kept turning her down. He refuses to have sex with her. He won't even be alone with her. And Joseph is showing incredible integrity here. He's a far cry from that arrogant 17-year-old we met last week. But Potiphar's wife will not give up. 
one day she gives everyone the day off except for Joseph. And when Joseph enters the house, she grabs his clothes and says, come to bed with me. And Joseph makes a break for it. He tries to get away, um, but she holds on to his robe and Joseph ends up running out of the place naked. And just when you think Joseph got away safely, Mrs. Potiphar comes up with this story saying that Joseph was the aggressor. And as you can imagine, Mr. Potiphar was not exactly thrilled about this. And he throws him in prison. But Potiphar's wife made a major mistake. She misjudged Joseph's integrity. She thought that her power and basic human desire would be strong enough to break Joseph down. Instead, Joseph's integrity holds up against her advances and she's left holding nothing but his clothes. And even though he did nothing wrong, Joseph finds himself once again without a coat, without status, and in a hole. And this time that hole is prison. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what can we possibly learn from Joseph in this story about how he had integrity and still ended up in prison? <laughs> You've probably heard the saying that there are two things that we can count on, death and taxes, but what about the third? We can also count on our integrity being put to the test. We live in a world that is messed up. We can all agree on that. <laughs> so we're going to face challenges. We're going to face temptations and invitations to compromise our integrity. So don't be surprised. The truth is we should expect it. We should be ready for it. We should even anticipate it. Peter um, is known as one of the great leaders in the early church. And he wrote a couple of books in the Bible, but he also found out firsthand the power of a moment of compromise when he denied Jesus just hours before his crucifixion. And out of that experience, Peter said this. He said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, guys, don't be surprised when you face situations that challenge you to compromise your integrity. Expect it. Anticipate it. Be ready. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who lost his life when he stood against Hitler in Nazi Germany because he refused to compromise in the face of massive pressure. And here's how he described temptations um, that attack our integrity. He said... In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce, with irresistible power. Desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and it is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. You guys, we are in a real battle. There's a war being waged between good and evil, all that is right and just against all that is biased and wrong and corrupt. Our mission as Jesus followers is to bring God's kingdom to earth, to bring light to the darkness. The evil one, evil one wants nothing more 
than to let us get us to the point where we forget what our mission is. He wants us to forget about our God. He wants us to give in. So don't be surprised when he comes after you. He wants nothing more than for you to compromise your integrity. He wants you to make a mockery of God. He wants you he wants you to forget what God wants to do in you and through you. And you guys, <laughs> hatred and people hurting have been in the forefront of our world very significantly the past few weeks. This is a great time for the enemy to just sneak in and distract us. It, it's easy to lose track of what God wants us to do, what he wants to do in us and through us through this time. It's easy for him to distract us from being and bringing the love that is so desperately needed, his love to people who need it now more than ever. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the distraction. Don't be surprised by temptation. Don't be surprised. And that might not seem particularly hopeful or encouraging right now, but there is good news. The good news is that one of Jesus' closest, closest followers, John, wrote to a group of Jesus' followers who were a lot like us. There were other teachers who were trying to convince them to compromise and to give in to ideas that were opposed to the teachings of Jesus. And John said this, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Another version of the Bible um, translates, like, translates it like this, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You may be familiar with that one. So stop and think about that for just a minute. The God in us is stronger than our situation. The God in us is stronger than our temptation. The God in us is stronger than any person trying to harm us. And victory has already been won. We might only be in the middle of the story, but we know how it ends. And it ends in victory. In difficult situations and in moments of temptation, I find it helpful to turn to this verse and to remember that I do belong to Jesus, that his spirit lives inside of me. And he is far greater than whatever temptation I may be facing at the moment. When I'm reading my Bible, I tend to notice that every once in a while things will get repeated. And I know that when I feel strongly about something, I repeat myself. Anybody that's talked to me twice knows that. I can't even help myself. So I figure if something's repeated in the Bible, it's probably important. God is probably trying to point something out. So there's this phrase that you can read over and over in this portion of Joseph's story. And it is, the Lord was with him. Four times that phrase is repeated in this short little part of the story. The Lord was with him. Joseph lived in constant awareness of God's presence. He knew that his decision in the moment of crisis was tied to his relationship to God. He knew that there was someone on his side who was greater than whatever temptation he was facing in that moment. To have integrity means we do not change when we change who we are with. We are who we are, no matter where we are, no matter who we are with. And this happens when we live in a constant awareness of the one who is always with us, letting his character become our character and giving us what we need to consistently be who we could never be on our own. 
And this brings us to one more thing we can learn from Joseph's story. To consistently live with integrity, we have to decide in advance that we will do what is right. We will do the next right thing. Joseph had already decided that he was going to do right by Potiphar and what was right by God. He didn't decide in that moment. His God-inspired decision was made in advance. He had, in advance, decided to live a life of integrity, and that gave him the strength to resist. Often when we're in that moment of decision, considering a compromise, we convince ourselves. We talk to ourselves and say, "Mm, this is just a little thing. It's no big deal. I can stop whenever I want. But like Bonhoeffer said, we don't suddenly hate God. We just momentarily forget about God. It's the small decisions that we make right now that determine what our um, direction of our life is later on. And when we're wrestling with what to do, we can do the next right thing. We can choose to maintain our integrity. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, who, by the way, were known far and wide in the ancient world for their um, immorality. Um, I've heard it compared to Vegas, so take that for what it's worth. Um, But here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, when you are tempted, he, meaning God, will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, that's a promise that we can count on. God will provide a way out. We will sometimes have to look for it. It's not always the most obvious, but God does not set us up to fail. He provides a way out every single time. For Joseph, being faithful became a habit. It was a way of living for him. It was about looking to to do the next right thing over and over and over again, one choice at a time. Now, Joseph's example of integrity is awesome. But it's important that our takeaway from this isn't, I just need to work hard at being good, or I've already messed up, so it's too late for me. Because the truth is, as important as our eulogy virtues are, they're not the source of hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life, the ultimate life of integrity. And when we put our faith in him, the sacrifice that he made on the cross That's how he offers us his righteousness so that we can be at peace with God and with others. His spirit comes to to life inside of us, giving us the power to do the right thing. Paul describes the righteousness Jesus offers like a garment that we, we get to put on, like our own colorful robe. He writes, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees us clothed in Jesus. So please don't hear this and feel discouraged, guilty, or ashamed, but know that Jesus has offered you new spiritual clothes, clothes that will completely cover, perfectly cover all of our shortfalls, clothes that secure, secure your place as a child of God, and clothes that can never be stripped away or removed, no matter what may happen or what you might do. And that is the good news. This is the gospel. And that is what Jesus offers to each and every one of us if we put our faith, trust, and hope in him. So let's pray.